Hello and welcome to the Thriving Abroad Podcast, the weekly podcast where I discover three fascinating conversations with people living an international lifestyle and relocation experts what it really takes to thrive abroad. I'm your host Louise Wiles, an expat, repat author and a change and transition coaching consultant and I'm fascinated by the world of international mobility and cross-cultural living. And a very warm welcome to episode 84. I'm so happy that you're joining me today for this conversation. Now before I get into today's episode, a quick reminder for you to go to the Thriving Abroad website and register for the newsletter and handy show notes. The show notes contain key messages from each podcast and great questions to help you apply the content to your expat life, all for free, so don't miss out. Now today I'm joined by Annette Walters, who is the Chief Relo Champion for Relo Women. Annette helps individuals and corporations relocate whole lives, not just houses and boxes. Today, our conversation is slightly different as we both share our perspectives on relocation, drawing from a combined 27 moves and our professional experience working as coaches, helping people to plan and embark on national and international moves. As Miguel de Cervantes said, forewarned, forearmed, to be prepared is half the victory. And we hope that this conversation helps you to be well prepared for your next relocation. Hello and welcome to episode 84 of the Thriving World podcast. I'm excited to welcome Annette Walters from relowomen.com to the conversation today. And a conversation it is going to be because today we're both going to share our perspectives, ideas and thoughts around the subject of relocation drawn from our professional and personal experiences. So I'm really excited that Annette's here and for us to have this conversation. Um, but Annette, people know about me, they don't know about you. So would you like to just introduce yourself and tell people a little bit about you? Absolutely. Absolutely. My name is Annette Walters. I am the chief Relo champion for a company called Relo Women. And you can find us out at relowomen.com. My passion is born out of 15 relocations that started at the age of six months and have gone on my entire life. I've got a couple of expat years in the middle. I'm currently in Dallas, Texas, and this relocation was by choice. I've lived here before and I think that's one of the best parts of relocating around the country or around the world is that you can find those places that best suit you. And I always like to say that, you know, this place suits me and I'm happy to be here. It's not the final stop on my journey because I hope to be relocating again soon, but I am grateful to be here while I'm here. I am also a certified life coach and have my BA in human resource management. I've worked in both IT and medical sales in my past career. I have followed my husband as a trailing spouse, and um, and now I'm an empty nester. And so I have lived many, many seasons in many different com- countries and states uh, my whole life. Wow, and I think that's a really interesting thing about relocation because although there's change and transition associated with relocation and the actual move you're often doing it if you do multiple relocations at different stages of your life so that adds a whole new 
flavour to each one as well. Um, so I'm sure you've got some insights to share about that too. Um, and interesting that you moved in your early, early life. Where did you move to when you were six months? Um, I moved from, as my father would say, at college housing, because he and my mother were married and in, you know, college married housing, because uh-huh. okay. that was back in the day. Mm-hmm. And, um, and my, my dad had graduated. And so they, they basically got kicked out of college married housing. And they moved into their first real place. So in Michigan. Okay. 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 Yeah. Now, I was just wondering, because I moved to the States when I was two. And um, so I had an early relocation experience as a child moving from the UK to the States. I don't remember a huge amount about it, although I do have you know, flashbacks every so now and, now and again. Really? I moved back to the UK when I was five. So I had yeah, a few years on Long Island in, in, the, in the States. So, yeah. Yeah. My son was two and three years old when we were living in London and ah. he doesn't remember any of it, which is such mm. a pity because at one point we had a flat that was um, in South Kensington and it overlooked like oh, wow. five train tracks. So <laughs> he thought it was absolutely brilliant. I mean, he just run as fast as he could to get out to that little balcony every time he heard the trains coming and like, it was a little loud for me, but yeah, he loved it. It was great. But now he doesn't remember it at all. Doesn't remember it at all. I'm no, so, no, so sad. No. He was so cute about the whole thing. <laughs> I always think that about young children. We spend so much time entertaining them and then they don't remember any of it. So I think, no. why did we bother? <laughs> oh, that's a good point. <laughs> Lessons for all of you out there. Yes. <laughs> I like to think it feeds in somehow. They might not have those images, but I'm sure there is some sense of, yeah, mm-hmm. something they've learned, they've learned, obviously, through those experiences. So, something. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. say yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> So let's move on to relocation and starting with a pretty broad conversation or topic for us to to discuss. What does it mean to relocate well, do you think? Oh, to relocate well is definitely multifaceted. Um, If you listen to any of my podcasts on the Relo Women podcast, you'll you hear a lot that I'd say, you know, I'm here to help you relocate well and relocating well is actually defined individually, which makes it kind of, I'm not dodging the question as much as when I talk to my clients, we talk a lot about um, how they want to live, how they've lived in the past that works for them, um, what they've kind of done just because they should. And I put that in air quotes for our podcast listeners. It is, it's, it's something that takes pausing and thinking about which especially in those those littles to you know later school years for our kids we're so busy just trying to manage them and entertain them as you were saying you know that we don't pause long enough to really to really evaluate that but when we go to relocate it's such an opportunity because there are no more shoulds i mean you basically you've got a kind of a blueprint for life but it's a clean slate I mean, it's not like, you know, how to build that house or, you know, how to build that life and you get to do it all your own. And so we, we work a lot on, on really defining that and pausing Mm -hmm. in, um, in relocating well, because a life that is lived well after relocation means that you're living a life of intention 
that serves who you are and your values, you know, your core values, what you value as a family, you know, it's part of the reason why I'm back in Texas and, and why I talk about it this way is because I really view the culture and the people and how life works here as helping me be a better version of myself. And so I can be more of me. And I think that is the greatest opportunity in relocation is being more of your whole self. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important that people do start at that point, because I think often, often I work with people who are relocating with companies and the move becomes the, the job move. It's because often of a job change and that becomes a focus and the move is the move from A to B. Mm -hmm. um, and there often isn't this thought about, well, what do we actually want to build and how do we want to mold our lives intentionally once we arrive? Um, because the focus is on getting from A to B, you know, the planning around it, it's often done very quickly. Um, and that thought process doesn't happen, but it is so important, particularly for partners um, of you know employees who are the employees being moved and perhaps partners going too. And there are often big questions around how that's going to play out for the partner and how the partner is going to use the experience positively too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that pause in there to be able to do that is so important, but it's not like any of us have ever lived. It's not in part of our schooling or college or anything, you know, well, how do you pick up a whole life by the roots? How do you find actual fertile ground that this, this family, these roots will actually thrive in? You know, what is it? What is life? You know, I just live it. You know, what, what am I supposed to do? But, you know, you need to move that and be thriving in two months. So <laughs> pick up your boxes, you'll get there, you'll thrive. Good luck with that, you know, type of a thing. And it's never like that. <laughs> but the easiest part to, for especially in corporate moves for them to address is, is the logistics, because there's hard stops, there's hard stop, stops or starts. There is, um, there's things that you can measure. And, you know, being able to do that is, is so much easier to go after than, you know, some of these, really it's wellness that's missing out of it. But housing and boxes, mm -hmm. we can do that. Mm -hmm. but, they, but if we don't include wellness into there, you know, we don't even know if we're choosing the right community or if we really need that thing like an, an international move or, yeah. And then we're never trained about it. It's never part of the policy. You know, how do you move a whole life? <laughs> and I, I think that is, that's one of the observations I've made over the years is that actually it's a skill, this relocation business. And even and, and I think if you ask people who've moved a number of times, they learn the process of moving from a practical perspective. You know, mm -hmm. you, you develop your template. And I know you do because from personal experience, if, if something happens and a new role came up abroad, we would know immediately how to jump to from a practical perspective. And actually a certain, certain point amount from an emotional perspective as well, or psychological well-being as well. Having said that, though, um, every move's different. And so although you think you can predict it, you never always can. And I have, when we moved back to the UK the last time, repatriating back, I imagined it was going to be the easiest move ever. 
going home mm-hmm. and it was the most difficult move ever and um, it took me a long time to adjust personally it really did and it was such a shock and it was a shock because I work in this arena I should have known <laughs> and I didn't see that that's the problem that thought right there sinks all of us Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's literally, it's a thought and we think, you know, well, this is a good thought to have. I should know how to do this. But that thought right there, it's one of the things um, I work with people on is, is that when you think that, then it su- assumes that you've done something wrong, that you should have known better, mm-hmm. that you, and you go down this whole litany and your brain takes off on it and goes, okay, now let's prove to you why you should have done, you've known better. Yeah. And it just yeah. leads so, so place to nowhere. Yeah, absolutely. That That's the thing about moving. It's, it's, it's a, it's a change. You know, you're working through a change process and every change process is different wherever you're, whatever form of change you're making, it will always be different because the context, the people involved are different. So you will learn things that will help and that will smooth the way as you make successive moves, but you always have to be prepared for the unexpected. And I think that's one of the big mistakes people make is that they set unrealistic expectations about moves. You said settling in and everything will be perfect and we'll be thriving within two months. Um, nah. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't think I know anyone who, for whom that has happened. So, yeah. Well, and I was just talking to Robert Fletcher. He's the owner of Heart Relocation there in London. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he was talking to me about a survey that they did. Um, I don't know when, but they did a survey. And what they found is that the second or third move, according to their clients, was tougher than the first. Mm. Why mm. do you think that might be? Oh, <laughs> I'm having to pause and think here. Um, That's okay. Take your time. Do you know, do, do you know the answer? <laughs> I, I have my assumptions, but I don't have the answer. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess the first one, perhaps you have the expectation that it's going to be difficult because... Or, or challenging because it is something completely new um or perhaps it's completely the opposite but that one um you get through and you, you you're expecting it to be yeah well as you said expecting it to be new then the second time or the third time you're thinking well I have the template I know what I'm doing now this is going to be easy and suddenly right. it's not but I also think it comes down to where you're relocating to so that can you know and 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 different places have different impacts for different people as well. So that just, you know, I can think of some moves that I made which were easier than I expected them to be and others that were more difficult. So, and is there any rhyme or reason for that? Perhaps stage of life as well. You know, mm-hmm. I know when I moved to Madeira, when I was pregnant with my second child, that first year was incredibly tough for me. And that was stage of life. You know, that was being in a new place with a young child, not knowing anyone. Um, and a toddler as well and a a partner who traveled a lot so um, I think perhaps the circumstances the situation might be part of the story don't know what do you think well and I think it leads back to what you were saying before about expectations Mm. it is um, that's the other thing that just sinks us is that 
we, we have the wrong expectations. Now they can be positive expectations or negative expectations, but a missed expectation still creates that, um, uh, I was going to come up with the fancy word, but I can't come up with the fancy word, uh, but that divergence in, um, and that wasn't my fancy word. That was <laughs> that sounds quite good though. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but you know, that, that now I've got to step across this that I wasn't expecting to step across, or now I have to solve this that I wasn't expecting to solve. Mm-hmm. Um, or even when it goes well, it's like, oh, I thought I was going to have to put all this effort into it. Okay. Now what? now what do I do mm-hmm. type of a thing? Yeah. So I just, I found it, I found it fascinating. And I think it lands really in what you were saying before is that it lands in expectations. And I think that's where, you know, that's why what we do is so valuable is because it's part of learning how to relocate those whole lives by the roots um, and helping people understand that, Yes, even though you have moved, you know, once or twice before, let's just talk about it because it's going to be different. The people are different. The culture is different. Um, You know, you never know what's going to happen at the office or at the school or even getting your things from there to here. What if there's a six month delay because of where you have moved to? Now we've got a new challenge to overcome. Mm-hmm. And so that leads me to one of my other questions that I had for you, which was, I liked the part in the book where you talked And for those of you who don't know, Louise Wiles wrote a book called thriving abroad. And this is for my people. Cause I know all your people know this, but she, she, uh, she wrote this book thriving abroad and it hit so close to home for me that I really had to put it down after a little bit and then pick it back up because it, it was, it's spot on. It is the journey that we take as relocating people really. So anyway, one of the, in here, you talk a little bit about culture and how it is different every place that you go. And I talk about it. I always talk about culture because it's like a silent language, but could you go over, do you remember your, um, your definition of culture that you had or, Oh, it was coined by Helen's by Spacer Oatley. Do you remember that? I don't. Go on. (laughs) Okay. I'll read it here really quick. So she says that culture is a fuzzy set of basic assumptions and values, orientations to life, beliefs, policies, procedures, and behavioral conventions that are shared by a group of people and that influence but do not determine each member's behavior and his or her interpretations of the meaning of other people's behavior. So you're used to, you know, doing life your own way, you know, you've kind of assimilated this stuff and now you're in a new place. Mm -hmm. How do you even figure it out? How do you help your clients figure that out? Yeah, I think, well, I think you start with understanding your own beliefs and values. I think often the best place to start is by understanding how you see the world, because if you don't have a perspective on that, it's then difficult to see how other people's view of the world is different. Um, you know, often my short version of which I nearly gave you of, of the definition of culture <laughs> is how things are done around here. So, you know, we all have a culture. We have a family culture. There'll be a community culture in the community you live in and, and, and so on. So I think it's understanding that. 
and then you have that as a foundation on which to make comparisons and and to think okay well the beliefs are slightly different here because this is how they manage family life for example so for a long time I lived in Portugal and in Portugal family is so important you know an extended family and weekends are about the family getting together in a way that actually doesn't happen in the UK so that can make integrating into you know Portuguese neighborhoods a little bit tricky because they're so much more vested in in their family than perhaps we are in the UK and that's therefore defines often how they spend their free time and and so unless you don't unless you know that you would view the way they perhaps behave as 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 perhaps a bit rude and not very inclusive but once you understand how the culture works then you can begin to make some explanations which helps you to understand what's going on um so I think when you're that that's how I would you know and that's how I talk about culture with 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 my clients and people that I work with it's very much starting from what you know and you know reading obviously and learning a bit about the country I think language is important I'm not saying that you all have to everyone has to be fluent in a foreign language but just having some basics because often with language education comes education around from about the culture um, which is really really useful history history of the country that all gives you insight so being really interested in that um, and of course the one thing that everyone talks about when people relocate is you know, initially you have this boost and positive experience which people refer to as the honeymoon period and then as you start to realize all oh, things are different around here you become a bit more disorientated and it feels a bit more uncomfortable as you kind of adjust and try to find your way and that at that point is about well looking around and seeing well how are things differently done differently around here and why um and not always jumping you know it'd be easy to then feel a little bit um you sort of jump to negative conclusions perhaps because you're feeling a bit threatened by not understanding and knowing um and and being aware of that that often that fear-based reaction is because you're just not understanding what's going on not because you're really threatened by it mm-hmm. um and it's important and I think one of the best bits of advice I ever had from somebody I interviewed years ago on the podcast and she'd moved to China and working in China worked in China and she said what she did with her teams was she just sat down with them and said look let's have these conversations about you know who I am and where I come from and what my culture is and what how I view you know, work and you know, teams and how we all work together and you tell me how you view working life and teams and you know, just life generally and she said that just opened up the conversation so that whenever anyone was puzzled by something she did they felt comfortable to say not really following why you did that can you explain and she would do the opposite so being honest and upfront and saying to people well that's really interesting that you did that I'm not quite sure what you meant by that and asking people to explain. And generally, if you approach it in that way, people are very happy to to help you out and talk about it. How about you? you? And I think that that conversation that she's having is something that, you know, as adults, I think we probably in our heads think, well, I should, you know, like you said, I should know how to do this. I should understand. And so um, when we don't, we, we haven't been set up to even entertain the fact that things are done differently or mm-hmm. thought about differently or 
that there are different ways to do things. Mm. And, um, and I love that idea of, of opening up and going, okay, you know, how do you do, how do you view, view this process? How, what do you value at work? What are, you know, the driving values that, that cause you to decide in this way, or if maybe even going hypothetical, um, it just opens up to see everybody's different perspectives and all the mm-hmm. other options of ways to think about things, which is, mm-hmm. which is part of the great thing about accepting this relocation journey. Um, even once, I think that's what sometimes makes it more difficult to, um, tee up relationships with people, especially locals who have never moved any place else because their perspective is it's part of what, you know, and everybody thinks this way and, um, but they don't, but until you move out of that that fishbowl. I was talking to Efret uh, Weiss, um, uh, yeah. and she talks about all of the different fishbowls. And mm. until you get out of your fishbowl, you know, you don't quite know, you know, that that there is a different way to to think about things. The one of the other things I found in your book that I found interesting, and it wasn't necessarily defined in your book, but I think you probably have some ideas about this is in the book, you talked about tracking performance and it was really from a, a, you know, an assignee and tracking how you were, you're performing at work and that sort of journey. Let's turn that conversation a little bit into the, the accompanying spouse, you know, whether or not they're working or not, you know, their experience and really kind of refining it into a life that they want to lead. Mm-hmm. What do you, what are your thoughts about that? How would you coach somebody? So you mean when, when a partner has arrived and they're thinking about, well, what's this going to mean for me and how am I going to develop either a professional life or, or just a life life that I'm enjoying and in which it has, has purpose. And um, yeah, I think, I think often the problem for partners is that they leave perhaps leave a career behind um, and when they do they have different views about what they've left behind so some might choose that they want to leave behind a career and have the view that well I'm gonna have a career break for a few years and and so I think that's one context and, and situation and then another may just think well I'm going to find some work when I arrive um, and um, then be surprised if that's difficult and difficult to find I when I, in 2012, I did some research with um, Evelyn Simpson, who's a co-author of this book, and we did this research with over 400 partners. And it started as a little survey online, and we were interested in understanding the career choices that partners made when they relocated. And we called it Career Choice and Becoming Partner. And what we, what prompted us to to do this research was a conversation on LinkedIn where somebody said. Um, you know partners don't really want to work that's why they move because actually they want to have a break give up their career so why do they keep talking about this and we were so indignant because we were partners at that point and (laughs) um, and so we thought right let's do some research let's find out what's really going on well about 78 or 78 percent of the partners surveyed said they wanted to work in some way whilst they were abroad 
Um, but recognizing a lot of them recognizing that they needed some flexibility because, because they had children, perhaps because they had partners who traveled a lot. They could they recognized they couldn't do the sort of full on full on corporate role as well without a lot of fam- help at home. Um, and then so the other 22 percent, though, didn't want to work. And a few were very, very adamant in their feedback to us that actually they didn't want to be made to feel guilty for that choice either. For them, they'd made a positive choice to go and relocate for their partner's career. And they were really enjoying the fact that they could focus on family and do things in a different way. Mm -hmm. So what I would say to partners who are thinking about relocating, I would say, think carefully about your career. Um, And if you want to have a career break, absolutely fine. But if you value your professional, your profession and your whatever that is, and and you think that at some point in the future, you're going to want to get back to it, do be proactive in how you maintain your interest in that and your professional qualifications if necessary over time. Do make an effort to keep that contact going, connections going, so that you have opportunities in the future to make a different decision. Um, Then for partners who do want to continue working, I think it's really important that they understand right at the outset whether they are able to get a visa. Because, I mean, if you can't get a visa, then you're not going to be working. And you kind of have to accept that at that point, because in some countries it's not going to change. Arriving won't change that fact. So be researching that upfront, thinking about that carefully. And if you can't work, but you are you really value career then you know think about things that you can do during that time that will enhance your your profession your qualifications and so on and use that time in that way but also remember that it's an international experience through which you can gain so much as well you know from cultural awareness we were just talking to language to the whole experience itself I think has it's, it's life enhancing so really recognizing that too um and then for partners who want to work, who can work, well, then, you know, thinking about how that approach is going to, how you're going to approach finding a career or job in your new location um, and looking for support from career coaches, perhaps, or career consultants in your new location um, and being very proactive. And that's the one thing that came out from our research and has come out from quite a number of my podcast conversations, quite early on ones with partners which was that if you want to make your career work, you're going to have to be really proactive in actually getting it to work. It's not going to come into to your lap. You're going to have to go out there. And the woman I spoke to, spoke about who, with, back to the Chinese, the woman who worked in China, she found her role by literally analysing what she had that she could take to China that she knew would be of value to companies in China. That was her European, UK experience and perspective. And she went out marketing that and found a job that enabled her to use that skill. So really thinking about what skills you have, what you're taking with you and how that might be perceived as beneficial in the eyes of you know, businesses and, and employee, employers in your, in your new location. Does that answer the question? Or that I does answer my question. Kind of off track. <laughs> Long yeah, answer. no, that does, that does answer my question. And I like your approach to it because um, it really 
tease up the conversation to, okay, this is, this is what's your job title before and kind of what you did, but let's get creative about it. Mm-hmm. Let's really pick it apart as to what you enjoy doing, what you're good at, what, what is of value within this that then you can, you can use going forward. And that skill alone, being able to translate your skill set into potentially a new job title or a new function is um, that practice is so valuable, whether you are transferring to Hong Kong or you're just following and maybe they just don't do that in that state that you're going to type of a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I always say that you've got to, there are three parts of what you're interested in, what you're good at, and then the opportunities of where you're going. And, um, you know, you need to look for those opportunities. You can also create those opportunities by networking. And I mean, that's another point I would say, you know, using expat communities, which often have, you know, such a range of, of, of skills and interest, you know, and people involved that you know have the conversations and, and also get to know local people and from that will come opportunities but you have to have the conversations you have to have the connections so I suppose it's the focus on who um so making those connections building those connections and seeing what results I hope you're enjoying this conversation now if you're an expat partner I just wanted to let you know that I have collated resources from previous podcasts conversations on the subject of creating thriving relocations for expat partners. There have been many, many um, episodes with some really insightful content from expat partners and people supporting expat partners on in previous episodes of this podcast. So the resource I've created links you to all of those. Uh, so go to episode 84 on the thrivingabroad.com website and you can access that document there. I've also put a link there to the summary research or summary report for the research career choice and the accompanying partner so go to episode 84 and access those resources so what else what else because you've been at this research for a long time what is the topic that you remember most or that you um are most heavily um, invested in understanding that you researched? Ooh, <laughs> well, I suppose at the time it was the, the career, whole subject of careers for expat partners. That was quite a topical one at the time. This is about 2012 and it was kind of beginning to be raised in all the global mobility studies. I mean, it had yeah, been a topic before. The Permits Foundation, I don't know whether you know the Permits Foundation, but it's a major, it's a great organisation that encourages governments to offer permits to partners of you know, international employees and um, they had done some studies as well so there was quite a lot of conversation around partners and partner support at the time so that was one area um, but one of the other areas that I studied and that was from my master's was looking at expectations so we talked about expectations and um, and I was interested to, to know how you know if and I was relating this to company support because so many companies spend a lot of money supporting international employees. And I was interested to know if if there is high levels or appropriate levels of support for employees, does that help them to adjust more quickly? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm not unsurprisingly, I suppose, yes, I found there was a connection. There was huge disparity in the level of support provided 
from organizations and um, and that was you know and i think what really mattered was how people what people expectations people had around that so if people had high expectations that they would have every need met then obviously when those needs weren't met they they struggled um but if they didn't expect much and they didn't get much they weren't surprised and um yeah uh, so around expectations and 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 I think that you know that that then was a real message that to companies for me um because where companies spend more money than they need to on providing stuff that people don't want or don't need then it's just such a waste of resources so it comes back to really understanding the needs of the of the people who are relocating and what they the support that they really would appreciate and providing that rather than these extravagant packages that actually might not be relevant um, for some people in certain situations. Yeah. And a lot of people don't even tap into it. I mean, they, mm. they provide it and then people don't even tap, tap into it. How mm. do you help? Um, how do you help people or co- companies or whoever is, because I suspect it's the companies or the HR uh, functions mm. understand the, what these, individual assignees and their families actually need well i think it's becoming a lot more sophisticated now and i think um it's interesting because you five years ago we were talking about set packages for you know so the company would say right this is the package you're getting and there would be a policy and within the policy there would be some you know relocation support of varying types and perhaps some educational support as well if they had kids um, and there wouldn't be much discussion around whether that you know, was really what was wanted. Now, I think companies are realising that actually these conversations need to be had. I think one result outcome of the pandemic there is that they have recognised that you know people need the conversation and the support and to understand their situations and circumstances. So I think there's been a lot more communication actually between sort of the global mobility HR departments and the international assignees um, and a much more a, a higher awareness of, of the challenges they might be facing and, and wanting to you know to understand those and be involved in those um, and so I think that's generated a big conversation around well what needs are there and one area that seems to be rising in the sort of the, this levels of discussions is well-being so thinking about how organisations can better support employees from a wellbeing perspective. Um, you know, and there's always been a employee assistant programme. So, you know, if, if someone needs some counselling, often you know, most companies will provide some form of support there. But there hadn't been more the proactive, well, if we provide this support around wellbeing and, um, you know, help and support them to think about their wellbeing, then perhaps we can avoid, you know, the stress results that come at the end when that support hasn't been provided. So I think it's this conversation is becoming more sophisticated, definitely. Um, and, and that's I a huge generalisation and people might not agree with me because they're probably listening and saying, yeah, my company doesn't do that. But this is what they're saying. You know, this is what the global mobility conversation has been in the last year. Well, and I think more of that conversation is coming to the forefront, like you said, because of COVID, because mm-hmm. mental health has become or the lack thereof, or maybe an unsteadiness of mental health has become more, if you will, acceptable. 
because there are more people that have struggled, you know, through and because of the pandemic Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. I think it's more of the everyday conversation. And I think that is actually one of the, the silver linings of, Mm -hmm. of the pandemic, both on a global scale, you know, just for humanity and in the global mobility space, because it makes those conversations for wellness, like, okay, I'm willing to understand if they don't have wellness, what the impact is, you know, for Mm -hmm. everybody, Mm -hmm. especially for the corporate relocations and the employers. I mean, Mm -hmm. the soft cost of a relocation fail can be a hundred thousand dollars easily. And maybe the lump sum was only 25 grand, you know, he's just, (laughs) It, but see, I think, I think you're right. I think it leads to more of those wellness conversations, which really should have been there this whole time, because that's how you, you have those conversations to pick out that community that actually works for your family or, mm-hmm. you know, where you're, um, how you're going to live the activities that you decide to go into, because there's 128 hours a week per individual outside of work. Mm-hmm. And that, that, mm-hmm. those life hours I, in my opinion, at least anecdotally, you and I should get together and research someday. And um, because I believe that it's those 128 hours that are outside of the job that actually cause failures in relocation. I think within the job, it's not as much as what it is outside of mm-hmm. the, those work hours mm-hmm. that, that cause that. And there's, we can do so much to prevent that from happening. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I think it is around understanding, you know, how families are adjusting if, if you know families are involved. Because that's such a multi-layer, you know, level issue because everyone adjusts at different stages and different ways. And I think, you know, that I mean, that was something that was researched way back, you know, crossover and the stress of the crossover stress that goes from the family to work and spill over. I can never remember which way around it is, but you know. You're, you're, the employees bringing stresses home from work and, and they're taking the stresses from home back to work, you know, and they all impact Absolutely. and interact together. Um, and if the family is not happy, if a partner's not happy, um, if kids are struggling, then that obviously has a massive impact on, on the employee. Having said that, you know, the number of failures, you know, it, it depends on location. So the failure rate does vary, but, you know, I think the average in most surveys is around 7% of assignments end in early return or failure. And then it will rise, you know, so that's an average. And then, you know, in the more difficult locations, it can rise 25, 30%. So, you know, the majority of international assignments don't end end in early um, return or failure. Um, But we don't know what state they are really being lived in. Um, because we don't have any stats around that and so you know people may be staying are they happy is it you know a fulfilling life for them how's their productivity are they and, and how's how their productivity that, yes and how does that impact the team that they've been brought in to be part of or manage yeah. or you know and, and it just it's a snowball effect yeah yeah the whole absolutely. thing yeah. but there's just not yeah. enough research that's why we should do that we should do that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, well, we're at about an hour. Would you like to? Wow. Do we didn't get too many of my questions. I was. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah, no. Yeah. Feel free. No, no, no. I got, I've no, got no. time. Feel free. Well, I, well, just what, one question that I'm really interested to think about, and that is kind of the value of relocation support to, to 
people and how they can maximize the support that's provided for them. Do you have some ideas around that? So if you know the companies are employed on their behalf to support mm-hmm. their relocation, how can they get the most best from them? Because I was talking about you know wasted resources um, that money's spent but people don't actually access or use fully those resources. So how can we help people to to think about that and, and really use those resources? Um, you know, I think the first thing is to realize that they're there and what they are, because we get so focused as when we are in the midst of our own relocations, as we said before, on the housing and getting our things there without being broken. It, it is so much of our time that we really don't, we really don't pay attention to these things. Mm-hmm. And some of these offerings that the, the companies are offering are really good, but we don't even realize it that they're available until potentially they've expired. Mm -hmm. Um, And so stepping back and helping our clients understand that their relocation is about more than houses and boxes and that they need to advocate for themselves. And by doing that, the first step is to understand what is there and actually talk to the reps. And just asking the question, you know, how does this really help me? Help me understand how this helps me, um, I think is, a, is, is worthy of their time, even mm-hmm. in that first couple of months where their time is so short. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is, is that that cultural, that cultural training, that cultural training can be so important in understanding. And when you get past kind of the official training and you have conversations with the people that are helping you understand the converse, the culture, um, and you put it into daily life context, maybe even extending your cultural training on your own dime to understand, because as we talked about before, there's so much that we learn almost by osmosis. Mm. And when you can have those conversations, like um, what your, your um, client was having, you know, what is the biggest value in work? You know, mm-hmm. the work value here, it could be, you know, the schools, what is, what is, what are they teaching? Mm-hmm. So um, it's, and then helping somebody define what, how they like to live life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is, what is a, an education for a kid? What is, what is, you know, spending weekend time together as a family? How, mm-hmm. how do we really want to do this? How do we do it there? And so some of those cultural training and even, you know, they're hiring life coaches, certified life coaches like myself to mm-hmm. really talk about what's going on on a daily basis and the frustrations and, and kind of keeping things aligned so that you don't go all the way down the rabbit trail to overwhelm and shut down because it doesn't mm-hmm. have to happen relocation doesn't have to be so hard, but if you don't have somebody coming alongside going, yes, I understand. And nothing's broken in your brain. The fact that you're <laughs> thinking about this, this way, your brain is just trying to protect you. It's all okay. Now let's get back and, you know, take the sting out of it and see it for what it actually is. And that way we can see all of our options. So, yeah. you know, life coaches, cultural training, language training, of course, and, curiosity. I loved that, which you talked about before is, you know, getting curious. What is this place? Yes. Yes. I think that is a really helpful approach. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. a learning experience. <laughs> oh, every time. Definitely, yes. And I think that's one thing that I, I would say, you know, I think every time I've moved, I've learned more about myself and more about where I'm living, obviously, you know, the culture and the people. So it's so beneficial in that way. Um, but remembering to also look back and see the accomplishments, because I think often we see the challenges ahead, but we don't see what we've worked through when we move and the massive change that it is and what we have really accomplished by actually getting through that, you know, settling and building a new life abroad is is a, a massive accomplishment. So we should mm-hmm. give ourselves credit for that, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we have to live our lives forward, even though we can't we mm-hmm. we can't see it in real time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if anybody picks up Louise's books, Thriving Abroad, um, look for all of the quotes that are in there because they are they'll they'll change your life. And and it really deals with. I'm and I I'm completely serious when I say that because it really touches a nerve in each subject subject that she, that she talks on and basically teaches on Um, because, and I, and I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give this one because this is one of my favorites and it's life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forward. Soren Kierkegaard. I mean, that is exactly what we were just talking about. Now we have to live forward. And if we could live backwards, you know, hindsight, 2020 and all, but these quotes that you have throughout, it's like, oh, you get me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges in relocation is just finding people who get you. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I think we could carry on all night, but probably no. it's evening here for me in the UK. But <laughs> I think that's, yeah. It's been well, lovely thank talking you, Louise. to you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. This has been fun. I love a good conversation. Thanks very much to you as well. And thank you for listening. It was great to share some of my experience and insights from my book and research. Now you can access a summary copy of the research from the Thriving Ball website. Look for the blog post for this episode, episode 84, and you'll see the link there. Also, remember to check out my book, Thriving Abroad, The Definitive Guide to Professional and Personal Relocation Success, available on Amazon. Also, take some time to go and have a look at relowomen.com and learn more about Annette and the work she does. She has some great free resources in the form of podcasts and videos and blog posts. You can also connect with her via LinkedIn, look for Annette Walters, or through her Facebook group, Relo Women. So go check all of that out. Remember the show notes with a summary of key messages and reflection questions drawn from this podcast are available to subscribers of the Thriving Abroad newsletter. So go to thrivingabroad.com and subscribe. To wherever you are in the world, take care, stay safe and healthy. Bye-bye for now.